0: So if you're new with us, we're in a a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' very famous, most famous sermon probably, where he is teaching a vision for life. It's kind of like a manifesto for life. A vision for a new way of life that's possible when you follow him and let him reign as king of your life. And the impossible things that become possible when Jesus is the master, the king, the lord of every aspect of our life. He calls that the kingdom of God, it's God's domain. And he, that's Jesus' vision, is to see the domain of God, which is heaven, permeate and transform everything in our life. And he addresses some of life's most challenging and critical issues, which is good. Because <laughs> if his vision didn't include the stuff that matters to us, it wouldn't be a good vision. And so it's challenging but wonderful that Jesus addresses some of the nitty-gritty, most difficult things in life. And that's what he goes after in his sermon. We started that last week where Jesus addresses anger and division in relationships. And it's so powerful and hopeful that he has a solution to the status quo of the vicious cycle of hurt and frustration and negativity and division that happens in relationships. Jesus knows that and he says, that's not God's heart for you. I have better for you. I want your relationships to be united, to be healthy, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be life-giving, to experience forgiveness, to receive forgiveness, and for them to be a reflection of your relationship with God in heaven. I want them to be that good. I want them to be fruitful, life-giving. So let me tell you the solution. Let me give you a kingdom practice to help you overcome the anger, the hurt, the offense, the division that is just so normal to life. So, we looked at that last week. That was kind of uh, part one, so to speak. And, and as I was getting into it and getting passionate, I'm like, oh man, this is, this, there's so much here. It's probably worth a, a number two. And then, thankfully, honestly, we got fantastic feedback from you all. There's like, hey, that was challenging, those words of Jesus. Uh, but hey, we needed that. That's good. That's helpful. It's healthy. And so, with your permission, <laughs> we're going to go again and we're going to go deeper. Because there's even greater levels of challenge. And so it's kind of a little bit of those, one of those messages that's like kind of put the seatbelt on a little bit. It's challenging. Jesus goes deep, he goes into vulnerable places, but it's all under his vision of hope. That with Jesus as the Lord of our lives, the pain, the hurt, the brokenness, the suffering in this world can be redeemed, it can be overcome, it can be healed. And the relationships in our life can begin to look more and more like what we might describe as heaven transformed these. So let's get into it. Matthew 5, chapter, 20, or chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whew. That's real life. (laughs) Honestly, and I think that when Jesus says you'll be liable to the hell of fire, I think he's talking about the hell of fire that we put ourselves through in relationships when we let anger and offense fester. Tell me if that's not the case, that it breeds hell in your life. He's not talking about final judgment here. He's talking about the mess we make for ourselves. And Jesus says, there's a better way. I've got something better. But there's a reason that this topic is the number one thing, or you might say, the first thing that Jesus addresses when he starts to get into these nitty-gritty ethical issues or how we live and behave in everyday life. And I believe that's because his heart is so huge for relationships. It's all about relationships. We looked at that last week, so I don't want to beat that drum too much. But the good news is that God cares so deeply about the relationships that we have one, with one another. That goes into marriage, it goes into kids, it goes into parenting, it goes into all of these relationships with our, in our life, the horizontal relationships. They matter absolutely critically to God. And because of that, the enemy is attacking relationships probably as the number one tactic he has. He has been accusing and dividing from the beginning. Look at at the Garden of Eden. The first generations of humanity What does the enemy try to do? Come in and divide humanity from God and from each other. So now that they they feel shame, they feel nakedness, they have to cover and hide because they can't trust each other. They can't be vulnerable. You're now a threat to me. And then it goes on, sadly, into the next generation where Cain and Abel, the first offspring of humanity, literally are so divided, a murder takes place. (sighs) That's the enemy. That's his tactic. It hasn't changed But Jesus says, you know what, murder? Yeah, let's let's not do that. But I have something even greater, a higher law. Let's start, let's stop murder before it where it begins, which is in our hearts. The anger, the offense, the hurt, the frustration. And so Jesus goes after it. Because I do believe that division. In the body of Christ, division in relationships is the number one threat to the mission of God being advanced in this earth. If he can divide us, we're weak. If he can divide a marriage, it's weak. If he can divide a household, it's weak. If he can divide brothers and sisters, it's weak. So the enemy's going after that. And so that's why with, with courage, I want to confront these texts and say, Lord, help Help me grow. I don't want I don't want the enemy to win. I don't want to be divided in my marriage, in my parenting, in my friendships, in the church because to the degree I'm divided is to the degree that I'm weak. God works through the Holy Spirit works through unity. In marriage, in a household, in friendships, in the church. And I love how last week when Don shared up here and and uh, Really, I believe, kind of felt the Holy Spirit giving her insight into the text that was really profound, which was that this is not entirely about anger, although Jesus mentions anger first and that he wants us to overcome anger. There's more in the text, as Jesus talks about, you know, how we have this, we can have these attitudes about people saying, Oh, you fool, and we just want to. We just want to speak negatively about people. We have negative opinions about brothers and sisters and whether we speak it to their face or we speak it in silence or just to ourselves or whether we speak it to others, which is unfortunately easy to do, right? You're mad at somebody. You just talk to somebody about it. Start talking negative about them. Jesus goes after all that. And so Don brought up the I believe like kind of a revelation that this isn't just about overcoming anger this is about overcoming division. And that's really what Jesus is going out and that going after and that's confirmed when we get to his solution which is go be reconciled. That's the kingdom practice that Jesus gives us. When we're hurt, when we're offended, when we are talking negatively about others, or having negative thoughts and opinions about others, which is that division that the enemy wants. Go, talk to them, leave your worship at the altar, which is crazy, looking at the priority of Jesus on relationships. Leave, your, leave whatever you want to bring to God in worship, leave it there. Go to your brother or sister, be reconciled. That's how much God values the relationship. So before we get into some of the specific practices to live out this kingdom practice of initiating and pursuing reconciliation, I want to dig a little bit deeper into what what Don brought up last week, which was this this enemy tactic of wanting to bring division. And the reality is, when we allow hurt, anger, anger, Negative thoughts, negative opinions, judgments about others to remain in our hearts, which is what Jesus is going after. He's saying, don't let it sit. Go reconcile. Don't let it sit. Even if you're going to worship God, <laughs> stop what you're doing and go reconcile. That's don't let it sit. Don't let it fester. All of those things have really, really bad consequences if we let them sit. I want to take us to two other scriptures that help show us the depth to which there is a (laughs) seriously demonic danger if we let anger, hurt, offense, negative opinions just sit. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul says this. He picked up on the principle of Jesus, guarantee it, and he paints a terrifying picture Sometimes we need to have the hell scared out of us. Hopefully this will do it. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry as it gives the devil a foothold. He is talking to Christians. So don't fool yourself to say, well, I have the spirit of God so the devil can't touch me. Let's see your relationships. Don't let The sun go down. Don't hold on to it is the point. Same thing as Jesus. Don't let it sit. Don't let it fester. Don't let anger sit in there. Why? It gives the devil a foothold. If you allow offense, hurt, frustration, negative opinions to remain in your heart, that will become a foothold of the enemy. Not any kind of foothold. A foothold of the enemy where somehow we as believers have given away influence of the Holy Spirit, we've given away the influence of our master Jesus and we've given influence to the devil. (gasps) That should be scary. So allowing that undealt with junk to remain is literally allowing the devil a playground in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit. And if we continue to let that foothold remain, continue to let that offense remain, does it not always grow bigger into a full-blown stronghold? Yes. <laughs> Hebrews twelve fifteen describes it like this. Make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting, growing within them, which will only... Cause trouble and then poison or corrupt is the Greek word the hearts of many. So, you see, from a a foothold where you allow anger to remain anger, bitterness, you know, frustration, hurt, negative opinions, offense, all of it. If you allow it to remain for a short time. It's a foothold. The enemy has a, an ability to mess with you. But if you then allow it to remain long enough, what happens? It grows nasty roots. Roots. This is two Christians talking about how bitterness can grow a root where it's now, I mean, you got a foothold. That, that what's, what's a foothold that, has, that shoves down roots and grabs on? I'll call that a stronghold. The enemy can have a stronghold on us that corrupts us. It's literally the word. It corrupts us. It poisons us. What? In what way? I would argue that when we allow those things to remain and we get corrupted and a stronghold of the enemy is in there poisoning us, how does he poison us? He poisons us so that we become like him in becoming the accuser of the brethren so that we no longer see people through God's eyes of grace and we see with heart of bitter, angry accusation. And that's not a good place to be. Rome, Revelation 12.10 gives a name to Satan, says he's the accuser of the brethren. He tries to stand before God all day long and tell God, here's all the things they've done wrong. Here's how they're bad. Here's how they're imperfect. Here's how they messed up. What's terrifying is I've felt that in my heart towards people. Just no gold, no grace. They're just all bad. That's a stronghold. The good news is Jesus has a simple, yet very difficult, challenge, practice for us to overcome those strongholds. To whittle them away, to take out the roots, to pull out the roots, to take back the camp in our hearts that the enemy has stolen, to take away that foothold and start living clean and pure towards our brothers and sisters so that we can experience the abundant good life of kingdom-fruitful relationships that we're wired for, that we're designed for. And it's so simple. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 23-24. We've said it before, but just to make sure... It's coming from the Bible. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and therefore remember that your brother or sister has something against you or you have something against them, I would add, and how do we know that? Well, it says if you're angry, if you're wanting to insult them, if you're wanting to call them names, you fool, that's all on you, right? That's how Jesus starts it, saying you have all these negative opinions, you have offense, you have angry. you have judgmental thoughts. So they're both included in here. If your brother or sister has something against you or you against them, leave your gift there. Drop it, Jesus says, and go first be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and worship me. You can't worship him if you've got those strongholds. Wow. Okay, so to overcome division, Jesus asserts a kingdom practice initiate and pursue reconciliation. That needs to become part of our DNA. It's what I do because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of the King of reconciliation. I'm not a follower of the accuser of the brethren. The king of reconciliation is my master. So even though I'm scared of it, even though I'm coming up with a thousand reasons not to do it, I'm going to do it anyway because my master tells me so, and I want to worship him. So watch out for excuses that can partner with the enemy's agenda to divide. Number one, it's scary. That is true. In my opinion, that's the number one reason people don't obey Jesus' command. By the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, let that sink in. It wasn't optional. He says, don't even come worship me. Go reconcile first. Tell me in there (laughs) what is optional about that. Let's, let's, let's be real. And we talked before, it's like, oh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Oh, it's just these high ideals. That Jesus, he doesn't really mean it, because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There is nothing in there whatsoever to indicate that Jesus is not 100%, tr- and 100% serious and solemn and commanding that, no, if you're a follower of me, this is how you live. So you're gonna follow me, or you're gonna to choose to disobey me and partner with the accuser of the brethren. I mean, <laughs> This is just Jesus' words, I am the joyful messenger. So if you're offended right now, I'm the joyful messenger. If you're offended, you're mad at Jesus. Which I'm cool with, because he can handle it, okay? So let's just keep that straight. So in our humanity, some excuses we're getting to. It's scary, and that's true. It's true. But Jesus calls us to be people of courage. From the Old to the New Testament, over and over and over. We are not of those who shrink back. Be strong and courageous. Like, God knows the world is scary, and the whole, one of the main things about following him is that we become people that confront what is scary to overcome it. Yes. I heard a great quote from Toy Williams at the Life Group on Thursday night. Boom! I'm stealing it. He says, you will never, what is it, you will never conquer what you don't confront. That's, right. that, that's a kingdom truth right there. You can apply that to basically anything yes. in the kingdom. We do not see the kingdom of God advance in our life by sitting back and doing nothing. You conquer what you confront. So you want to have great relationships? Well, conquer. The, you want to conquer that division? Then confront it. So it is scary. It never is not scary. I mean, my, my wife and I have been trying to practice this for 20 years, and the, it, with ourselves, with our kids, with each other, or with 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 friends, with family. It gets easier, but it's never like, "Whoo hoo! This is gonna be fun." It's scary. You put yourself out there. You're being vulnerable. You're being honest. It is scary, but but here's what gives us courage is that what's even more scary is what happens if you don't talk to him. Because then you're partnering with the devil on his mission of division. That's more terrifying to me. So from the beginning of our marriage, we made a covenant to one another. Just be honest about everything. Get it out on the table. Because we are not going to let the enemy divide us. And it's scary, it's hard, being real, being vulnerable. But it is also far less terrifying than allowing the enemy to have a foothold that becomes a stronghold, and then through which what happens in that stronghold as you've given that authority to the enemy, is that now he puts a veil of deception over us to where you don't see people with God's eyes anymore. You see him with the enemy's eyes, and you can feel it. You can feel it. If you can't see gold in someone, if you can't feel the the love of God for them, grace for them, if you can't see that, that they have amazing gifts and talents and passions and that they're loved by God. And if all you see is stuff that want to makes you accuse them, a veil of deception has been pulled over our eyes. And that is really scary. So that's where, <laughs> even though it's scary to be honest and real and go reconcile the alternative, let that terrify you even more. It'll wreck your relationships. It'll wreck your marriage. It'll wreck your parenting. It'll wreck your friendships. It'll wreck a church. That's way more scary. Number two, excuses. Oh, I wasn't close to them anyways. Or ah, it's been so long. You know, somewhere in that realm where there's the there's the there's the temptation, the excuse to take the easy route by just saying, oh. It, You know, well, I didn't know them well enough. It 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 didn't, they didn't really matter that much. Beware of how the consumer culture can unintentionally permeate how we do relationships in life. Consumer culture says we should be served at all times comfortable at all times and anytime something gets uncomfortable or challenging we feel like something's wrong and we got to go get something new you can apply this to marriage or what fast food restaurant you are going to go through after the service is over today and be careful because the consumer culture is going, wants to permeate us and so we think the same about both in a way it's like, it's fine if you're considering you know, where to eat lunch today, but it's so destructive if that mindset of, oh, I should always be comfortable, nothing should be challenging. If it's hard, I'll just find something new. Check yourself. If you've come up with the reason, oh, I just don't want to talk to them. I didn't really know them that well. They weren't, we weren't that close. Oh, it's been so long. Be careful. There might be that consumer culture mindset about relationships where you're just willing to be, you know what, this is not very comfortable. This is hard. I'm just going to drop them and find a new one. Number three. Oh, they weren't going to listen anyways. Good little self-righteous justification there. <laughs> Joining the accuser and his opinion of them. Here's something that Jesus never gives us permission to say. I didn't talk to them because they weren't going to listen. There's nothing in God's word that would allow that excuse. You're just making stuff up at that point. You're just making stuff up, ways of justifying disobedience to Jesus. The worst case scenario is it doesn't go well. And that's better than living in disobedience to the one you call Master and Lord. And it's a lot better than partnering with the devil on his mission of division. So, when do we need to pursue reconciliation then? The first step, when you're hurt, when you're offended, is you take it to God. I don't think the first step is take it to someone and here's why. We don't want to nitpick each other to death. We take it to God in prayer. We ask him to give us grace for the person, forgiveness for the person. Sometimes it's our lens completely that needs to be worked on. Sometimes it's our insecurity. It's our weakness. It's our character. And it doesn't need to involve them. So we want to give God the opportunity to work on us first. Like 1 Peter 4, 8 says... Above all, keep loving one one another earnestly and let love cover a multitude of sins. Right? So, like, if you're, oh, microphone? Oh, man, thank you. So, you were, like, giving me this, like, what, cut it off? Like, I'm just getting started, bro. (laughs) Thank you. I'm excited, so I think I'm naturally kind of like, I don't want to like blow out of the water here, everybody. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's a good word for any relationship that you're in. The first goal is not to just go with accuse and nitpick and all that stuff. It's like, no, a lot of times it's on me, and I just need to have a little grace. That person's different than me. They respond differently to things. They have a different personality, they have a different background, they have a different, when they say something, if I were to say that that way, that means this, maybe they don't mean that. I mean, anybody who's married, anybody who has kids, anybody who's been in any kind of intimate long-term relationship, those people bug the heck out of you at times because they're not like you. And so we need to be really careful and put on that lens of grace where my assumption in life is people are different than me, and because I'm imperfect, their imperfections are going to bug me, and that's my problem, not theirs. So I'm going to just let love, let grace be the covering over my relationships. That's a starting point. And part of that application of that is Colossians 3.13, you bear with one another. Meaning, like that's literally the translation of that is like like you bear with one another's imperfections Like Paul's like I know people annoy you So what? Bear with them They're not perfect, you're not perfect, you're all covered by grace Bear with one another We're not looking to nitpick each other to death People are going to have bad days They're going to have problems They're going to say things that they probably should never didn't mean Our initial reaction Isn't not just get so offended, hurt You know, and hold on to it It's forgive them, bear with it Have a little grace, slow down Even forgive them as God forgave you. That's the starting point. If you think about that long enough, a lot dissipates. (laughs) A lot. How did God forgive you? What did God give you? Mercy for. Did you deserve it? That's why Jesus opens the lines of this whole message with, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Remember how much mercy you've been given before you mete out your judgments to everybody. And the longer you remember the mercy you've been given, you will probably actually become a merciful person if you're actually in touch with the mercy you've been given. And then Jesus goes on to say, And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. God made peace with you. So go represent the heart of your Father to the world and be a peacemaker with others. So that's where we start, but let's be honest, it doesn't always work, meaning we can do our best to forgive, to let love cover over, to try to have grace and forgiveness and bear with people's imperfections, but it still sticks, it still hurts, so that's right there. When the hurt or offense continues, even after taking it to the Lord, your heart isn't clearing up towards them you still feel that propensity to want to speak negative thoughts, speak negative opinions, you're harboring something, you're angry, you're hurt, you're offended, and it's just not going away. That's where, right there, go. It's keeping you from worshiping God. If they were sitting right next to you in the church and you feel that stuff and you're trying to worship and you're like, oh, this guy next to me. It's more real than that chuckle deserves. Go and be reconciled. So, we're gonna close with this. How do we do reconciliation then? So, I do this in 10 minutes. This is such a crazy topic. Like, I mean, there's so much we keep going on and on. And even like we had to try to exercise discretion together. My wife and I planned this entire thing together, like almost every single word, walk through, talk through, plan together. And we (laughs) we spared you guys the hour and a half if we were to sit next to each other and do this because we know what's going to happen. We're not perfect. We're still working on it. But we get excited. We're both extroverts. So we sit up here together with this kind of topic. Easy. Hour and a half. So we're like she said, hey, you know what? You just do this one try to keep it under an hour and 20. <clears throat> and I said, "Okay." So, let's let's rock and roll here on how do we do reconciliation? And I want to encourage some language that is new for our church. We've had various versions of this in the past. We call it brave communication. We call it safe communication. We got that from some other places and peoples, and that's good, like learning from others. But this one, we, as we went through it again, we said, Lord, give us kind of that fresh bread, that fresh word for what you're wanting to uh, grow I can't say instill because this has been an attempt to be a value from the beginning of the church, which is 12 years old and our marriage is 22. So this is not a new idea, but we're continuing to learn and grow and hopefully, by God's grace, get better at how we do life. So I want to introduce something that's already a value of the church, but we think this time it's continuing to get better and better. And that that is we initiate and pursue reconciliation through courageous communication. So courageous communication. Can that become the norm in your life? And the reason why we want to call it courageous communication is because of what we talked about earlier, that the number one reason that we don't do this reconciliation that Jesus talks about is because it's scary. And so this is a call to courage. At the very foundation, when Jesus says, initiate and pursue reconciliation, he is giving you and me and all of us in our lives a call to courage courageous communication is necessary to overcome division in our life and have the heavenly goodness in relationships that God designed for us. So, five things to do that courageous communication. And you can add some of your own, that's great. Work on it, talk about it, develop your own stuff. Number one, courageously state your good intentions of reconciliation up front. So the first thing you do when you go to a brother and sister to reconcile is state your good intentions. You're not there to accuse and kill them. You're there to reconcile. Your heart is good towards them. Your heart is following your master Jesus, which is to reconcile. An example of that, and you can I would encourage you very much, take this as a template, but then you develop your own language that's authentic for you. So if you're opening a conversation with someone, this is an example of what it could look like. I value our friendship very much, but I feel a bit disconnected right now. Or you could add in hurt or upset or frustrated. I feel a bit disconnected in our relationship right now because of how something came across to me. So I want to talk about it so we can clear things up and reconnect. <sighs> Let the tension be cut. You're not there to partner with the accuser of the brethren. You're there to partner with Jesus, whose heart is reconciliation. So oftentimes, though, let's be honest. When you talk with someone while angry, hurt, or bitter, the top priority is not reconciliation. It's winning the argument. Proving the other person wrong. Point out something bad in them. Or just straight up trying to make them feel bad, because they've made you feel bad. So we got to check ourselves here. If you're doing any of those things, that's not reconciliation, that's revenge. Most of the time you win an argument, the relationship loses. That was a loud yep from my wife, yeah. <laughs> now you say something in this sermon, okay. <laughs> but that's, re- no, but that, But Seriously. I have an unfortunate character default of wanting to be a lawyer that crushes all opposition. My mom told me that when I was like 12. She said, you'd be a great lawyer. I look back, I'm like, that's not a compliment. (laughs) Like, you thought I was just a, I don't know, somebody who crushes all, you know, uh, opponents in arguments. I brought that into my marriage. My wife had a similar take as my mom, except she was a little more pointed in, hey, this needs to stop. 22 years later, hasn't happened in 21 years. (laughs) All right, a little comedy to keep us rolling here. Jesus did not say, if your brother or sister has something against you, go prove them wrong. Go win the argument. Go accuse them of all their faults. He says, go make it work. Go be reconciled. That's my heart. So when you go and initiate and pursue reconciliation with someone, it's weird that I'm going to say this, but I think it has to be said. Reconciling the relationship has to actually be the priority. That'll change everything right there. Number two, in our courageous communication, we courageously refuse to make assumptions about their intentions or accusations about their character. We've been through this, so don't need to elaborate much. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. When we are hurt, it's easy to assign intentions to someone. You did this because of this. Because you don't care about me. Because you wanted to hurt me. Because, right? It's easy when we're hurt to, well, they must have had this intention when they said this or did this. That's a sign. It's assuming an attention it's accusing their character we have to give people the benefit of the doubt if our goal is to just accuse a person of wrongdoing or assigning assumptions or judgments that you've already made about their character we need to start over and go back to number 1 reconciliation will never be the top priority if you've already come with conclusions of judgment about their character and their intentions. Which moves into number three. So we courageously share how the words and the situation came across to us. So we're not hiding stuff. We courageously share the truth from our perspective, how it made us feel or how it came across to us. So this is where it's speaking candidly the truth. You don't hide stuff. You don't sweep it under the rug. That's where we talked about earlier. That gives the enemy the foothold, then the stronghold, and then the veil of deception. All bad. So we courageously share. For example, without making assumptions or accusations, this takes practice, because it's really easy. As you're sharing how you feel to make an accusation about their character or assume something negative. So, It's trying to just state what happened in a situation. When this happened, or when you said this, it made me feel this way, or came across like this. And then you pause. and You're just sharing the honest facts of how you feel about the situation. You move right into courageously asking them to share with you from their perspective. All of this takes courage. So it moves right into the but can you help me understand where you were coming from so you're saying right there i'm not well, i'm not wanting to make any assumptions or accusations about your character and intentions can you help me understand where you were coming from so kind of 3 and 4 together sound like here was a situation this is how it came across this is how it made me feel can you help me understand where you were coming from and then number 5 and the last one is that we will courageously be poor in spirit. Jesus opened the Sermon on the Mount with the call to be poor in spirit and the promise is, and the kingdom of heaven is yours. (laughs) So we should never not be poor in spirit. If we're never not in poor in spirit, we are not going to be experiencing the breakthrough of heaven in our life. So in relationships, being poor in spirit is never meant to disappear. So being poor in spirit is that humility that we're open and ready to learn From the other person, that we genuinely believe that their perspective matters and that they can share something that helps us understand the situation better, helps us understand them better. And through that heart of being poor in spirit, then we can be ready to ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness. We are all wired so differently. So part of that poor in spirit is recognizing that with different personalities, different backgrounds, different upbringings, we're going to say things different. We're going to mean things different when we say the same thing. We're going to respond differently to different situations. They're going to respond differently to you. The bottom line is every single person on the planet is not you. And so there is a poor in spirit grace It says way before I'm going to draw any assumptions or accusations or a negative lens on who you are, an accuser lens, I'm going to be poor in spirit. I'm going to learn in this situation. And I'm going to be ready to own my own stuff and ask for forgiveness. And I'm going to be ready to receive receive forgiveness and, and ask for it as needed. So we're going to stop there. There is a big question that lingers anytime this is brought up was what happens when it doesn't go well? And it is on us to try. Romans 12, 18 says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all, live reconciled. But it's not only you. It takes two to tango. So sometimes you've done everything possible and they haven't, and that's okay. And then Matthew 18, 15 to 17, I encourage you to go read it. The bottom line summary is, God does not want you to be abused, and he gives you the authority to set healthy boundaries in relationships. So if someone is unrepentant and clearly wronging you, you have the authority from Jesus to set relationship boundaries in your life so that they are no longer allowed access to those vulnerable places that they can just continue to hurt you. That's not God's will for your life. It's Matthew 18, a whole other message, but we're gonna pause for today. All right, we didn't do too crazy. It's not one o'clock. Do you want to pray, babe? A closing little prayer of fire.
1: Go for it. So, yeah, we wrote this together. This has been a passion of ours for so long. Because this one thing is what divides churches. This one thing. And we take this consumer culture into church. How many people do you know? How common is it to hear, I'm leaving this church because I'm hurt, because someone did this to me, someone said this to me, and did they pursue reconciliation? Nope. They kept it to themselves most of the time. They left to go to another church. And unfortunately, when we do that, we are partnering with the accuser of the brethren and bringing division and letting it sit. So there is not unity and the spirit of God is not flowing. This is such a huge... It's such a huge deal, and we make so many excuses. I've even heard people use different scriptures as their excuse. It's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Well, that means you overlook an offense. It doesn't mean that you're storing bitterness in your heart. And like he said, the litmus test is when you see that person, do you have twinges of hurt of anger, of ill feelings, of judgments towards them, well, that's not overlooking an offense. That's letting negative things fester. And that's allowing a foothold and roots to grow and division to fill whatever relationship, your household, your church, your workplace. So it's so important that we realize that other verses that could be taken as excuses are never allowed to override the direct command of Jesus, specifically about relationships. It is so important to him. It is worship. It is worship. It's worshiping him. It's dying to ourselves because it's scary, because we don't want to do it. It's dying to ourselves and it's saying your way is better. Your way is better. And I want to experience your unity. And we've got to have our eyes on the prize. The unity, the goodness, the reconciliation, the power God's will for our life is not what we see in churches all the time. People got hurt and they bailed. And they just left a stronghold of the enemy. They are partnering with the enemy to build the kingdom of the enemy and to shatter the kingdom of God. And we want to be a church that courageously takes the hand of Jesus, says yes to Jesus. We say no to division. And we courageously go after all of the footholds and strongholds that the enemy tries to throw in there. And let's be honest, we're different people. And this happens easily. We are wired so differently that I'll say something and it'll come across a way to him and he'll think I meant this by it. And I didn't. It wasn't even on my mind. And that happens all the time. And it's, it's happened so many times. And we have, you know, it's like you have people who leave the church because they've been hurt because of something that somebody said and they never talked to them. They never said, hey, when you said this, it made me feel that way. When you did this, it made me feel that way. Could you help me understand where you were coming from? So we're not accusing them. We're not condemning them. And that's, I've heard a lot of people say, I'm doing brave communication. Let me tell you all this stuff you did wrong and all of your hard intentions. That is not brave communication. That is partnering with the accuser of the brethren. That is making a lot of assumptions. And you know what assumptions do. I don't need to say it from the stage. But you know. Anyways, let us be people who courageously pursue Jesus, and follow him in obedience, and let us be a church who shatters the strongholds of the of division that the enemy has had for so long. And it is furthered through this consumer culture. I don't like this. I'm just bailing. So what do you have? You have powerless churches full of people that don't live in unity, who are not committed as family. The Spirit of God fell in the book of Acts because they were of one accord. There is unity there. They were of one accord. They didn't let bitterness and anger and slander sit, and they didn't bail when it got hard. When you stay in a relationship when you stay in a church and you talk things out and you reconcile, everything gets stronger and the fire of God and the presence of God goes deeper. And where the roots were, they get uprooted where the roots of the strongholds were, they get uprooted and the glory of God fills the place. And there be- and there becomes it becomes filled with the power and the presence and the manifestation of signs and wonders. So I believe we all have, we all have a, an assignment from God. And that's to ask him, do I have any strongholds in my life? Do I have any hurts with anybody in church, in my family? But particularly in this church. And state our intentions. I care about you. I want to reconcile. Let's, I want to share my heart with you. I want to hear your heart. I want to hear how you actually felt and what your intentions were. Because this is how it made me feel and it didn't feel good. And let there be reconciliation. And we need to both, from both ends, be open to repentance. Because sometimes when we get hurt, sometimes it's all on us. And we need to pursue healing from God. And we've actually got triggers from our past. And sometimes it's not. Most oftentimes it's both ways. But we need to both, on both sides, we need to always be open to repentance. Whether or not we are the ones that were hurt and are going to the other person, or whether we're on the other side and people are coming to us. Repentance is key. I think that's all I have to say about that.
0: Good prayer. Amen. It's a new dance.